day, everyone. Hello, welcome to Freedom International live stream. And we are very pleased to announce to you and introduce to you our esteemed guest, Dr. Kurt Vandenbosch. Um, before that, I'd like also to acknowledge all of you who've been helping and supporting us from the very beginning and doing your work as well in terms of uh, freedom and truth, truth movement as making our lives purposeful and meaningful. And um, today, uh, Roy Colan from Awakening Podcast joins me and Jane um, Marquis, Dr. Jane Marquis joins me from Empowered Mind, Empowered Health. And at some point, we'll be more diligent to post our donation links because we're just accumulating a lot more of um, uh, maintenance costs because but we keep doing this, you know, for storage problems, we get censored in one, and then we put everything in one basket again. So your help is always appreciated. And today, let's just say a little bit about Kurt Vandenbosch. He, he is a vaccinologist, an author, an innovator, an entrepreneur. In, um, we may have, we definitely have some questions and concerns for him, and he will lead us to this discussion. And I'm sure you too out there has more questions. So don't hesitate to reach out to him. And also make sure that you try and look. I, I say try because I heard that Amazon is having some challenge for him where you could get his book. But and I also heard that in Japan, it seems like they're able to easily get it there. So maybe I would, um, it's, it has changed, but do find it. And his website is www.drgert.com. And you can find him in other social media. And for readers, you also have the sub stack. So as a vaccinologist, author, inner, and entrepreneur, Dr. Vandenbosch, held a career in academia before joining several vaccine companies, just several. And he was one of those who brought a lot of attention last year and a lot of attention for people who are seeking the truth, but ignored in for those who have the power to change the course of what we're experiencing now. So he knows the structures of how vaccines are being created if that's the original vaccine definition is still uphold as of now. And he's also worked for um, with Global Alliance for Vaccines and Immunization in Geneva. So more, more on that and more of his other things that he's working on, we'll hear it from him. So there it is. And again, follow him, ask him questions because at this point, all we have are questions, 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 concerns, concerns, concerns. And I, too, just like most of us, don't seem to find and uh, don't seem to see a close end to this right now. OK, Mr. Van den Bosch, let me just ask something personal for you. How's your family and did they did you or did your family get the recent jab and i prefer call it that because it's so different from then they keep changing the definition of vaccines 
So mm. how's your family and how's your friends? How's your circle? Because most of us were kind of isolated because we did not submit to that. Mm. Well, first of all, uh, Chris, thanks for uh, having me. And, uh, you know, I, I'd like to make a, a small correction. So the uh, drgear.com is referring to my book, but the website, the website very much in line with uh, your endeavors is called Voice for Science and Solidarity. That is the the, the that is uh, the name of the website, Voice for Science and Solidarity. So we think it's important. The science for me is the truth, and solidarity is uh, you know the need for all of us uh, to hold together uh, to get through this crisis. Well, with regard to your question, um, yeah, Grace, there is only one thing people can get me angry with and that's the question are you or your family vaccinated of course not nobody in my family is vaccinated how could that be i mean i was one of the first calling out to the who saying this would not make any sense please debate us because this is really a complete nonsense and, you know, people like me and many others, we are very serious people. We, we don't go on social. We didn't even know basically what social media was before, you know, the COVID crisis. Yeah, we know. We, we, I thought, you know, this is for, for youngsters, etc. So never gone on this media, etc. So, for example, when my children and my family all of a sudden sees that I'm doing things like this, they immediately knew that something very, very serious was going on because otherwise I would not be doing this. So I didn't even need to convince them and to explain them all the science behind this. It was just like, oh, what our dad is doing, this is kind of like very, very unusual. He has never done this before. So, um, yeah, that is, uh, that is uh, the way uh, we convinced uh, family and friends, etc. But unfortunately, many, many people we were unable to convince very, very clearly. And that's also the reason why, as uh, you know, uh, living in a very small uh, country, Belgium, I immediately chose to, uh, you know, use all the American or English speaking platforms simply because I wanted to reach as many people as possible. Uh, so when I do an interview like this, very often many thousand people, uh, you know, would listen. Whereas when I do this in my mother tongue, for example, in Belgium, it's maybe 200 people going to listen, right? So, um, yeah. So that's my answer to your question. <laughs> well, thank you. We don't mean to make you mad, but I'm no, glad, no, no. I know I'm you understand why you ask. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's really so because one of the questions when they heard that you were coming is is he with us so i said well why don't we just see and give him a chance and you know we you know assess it for ourselves however mm. we're open to even those who don't have the same understanding or the same um, perceptions with us and that's what i believe you're inviting people is to have this critical conversation, which we have kind of lost because at the end of the day, it's all about what will you do or, you know, individual um, individual decision so that we can help the whole community. So thank you for responding to that. And 
the, from from the, the slides that you sent us, the PDF, etc., and all the uh, previous uh, re recent interviews you've had, I, I like that you've always emphasized about innate, innate immunity, in, innate immune response or innate ability. And because um, I myself, I think Jane and me, we've lived so many years already, even raising our family and children with that emphasis, innate, innate, because so that whatever happens, whatever everyone tells us or hear, because there's so many um, different concepts of whether a virus exists, whether this is real pandemic, this is, so whatever is happening, whatever we hear, especially with, with this internet and massive media propaganda, all I know is if we know that our body are, are, and are being humans and that's sacred, it has that ready-made resource of innate like shield. So thank you for always emphasizing that. But mm. how did the mass vaccination program, and even if I don't really not not like so much the word vaccination program but that's what they've been using so let me use that too how did it turn a natural pandemic and if we think it's a pandemic into a pandemic of immune escape variants and for most yeah. people they may not understand what immune escape means yeah so um Let's uh, simply start with the example of uh, a natural pandemic, which, you know, is um, just not subject to, to vaccination. And we have a very nice example of that. Uh, the, one of the best documented natural pandemics where uh, no vaccination uh, campaigns were conducted was the uh, influenza pandemic of 1918 right and there we saw that in fact the virus that started the pandemic was exactly the same that went into endemicity at the end of the pandemic so in other words uh, there were no other variants that were supplanting the original lineage viral lineage so that is very, very different from what we have seen during this pandemic, where, of course, there was mass vaccination. And uh, so I've always been saying, if you vaccinate during a pandemic, this will automatically drive the virus into immune escape. Why is this? So that was not the case with the previous influenza pandemic. And even though uh, you know, health officials and, uh, you know, these intelligent people, so to say, at the WHO were continuously saying, well, if you have a pandemic or if you have virus replication, automatically you will have mutants, you will have variants, that is inevitable. So, uh, till today, they, they, they do not understand what the problem is, because, of course, if virus replicates, you will always have variants, but that's not the problem. It's only becoming a problem when some of these variants that accidentally pop up because the virus is replicating and there are always mutations, if some of these variants start to dominate and to supplant the original lineage, then it becomes a problem. And that is exactly what we have seen 
during this pandemic, we had, you know, uh, of course, uh, at the beginning, the Wuhan strain, then we had Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Omicron. And uh, they were basically supplanting, you know, always the previous, the previous lineage. So how uh, can this be explained? So why, in other words, did this occur during this pandemic? And why didn't this occur during the natural pandemic in 1918, which was influenza virus, has nothing to do with the virus, because basically both viruses cause what we call in virology acute self-limiting infections. So they cause the same type of infection, so to say. But the problem is that uh, when you start vaccinating massively in, um, in populations during a pandemic, then in fact what you're doing is that you are uh, in fact uh, inducing immune responses in people, and those immune responses take time to achieve an optimal titer, an optimal antibody titer of neutralizing antibodies. So that takes time. That's also the reason why uh, in, in conventional vaccinology you need to boost people, eh? because uh, you it, it takes time and it takes an additional effort to achieve these optimal titers that can neutralize the virus. As long as this is not the case, the immunity is obviously suboptimal. And of course, if you are going uh, to induce, to begin with, uh, suboptimal immunity, then some of the mutants that, as I was saying, appear anyway, accidentally, some of these mutants will be capable of overcoming that suboptimal immunity. And uh, so, in other words, they gain a competitive advantage in a hostile environment. And a hostile environment is, of course, uh, the, um, the population that is mounting collectively an immune response against the virus that is suboptimal. So then you could ask yourself the question, yeah, but why did the virus become more infectious? Because that's exactly what we saw. The dominant strains, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, uh, Omicron, were all characterized by the fact that they were more infectious than the previous one. Well, if you think about this, we made vaccines that were directed against spike protein. And spike protein, we know, is responsible for the infectiousness of the virus. So it's not surprising that when the collective immune response induced by the vaccines is suboptimal, that you will select mutants that can overcome this suboptimal response that is directed against the infectiousness of the virus. And therefore, the variants that are more infectious will have a competitive advantage because the suboptimal response is directed against spike, which is responsible for infectiousness. So it's not coincidence. It's not a coincidence that we have seen uh, dominant or, or more infectious lineages that were appearing one or the, uh, after the other, and that were all characterized by a more infectious behavior. So why don't you get this during a natural immunity that is stimulated um, during a natural pandemic? So, and there, uh, you know, the, the, the factor that has been completely ignored is just, you know, the type of immunity you were alluding to at the very beginning, which is innate immunity. 
So if you vaccinate with non-live vaccines, so this vaccine, none of these COVID vaccines is live at any weight, right? They're modern technologies, if you like, but they are not containing live virus. So if you vaccinate with uh, vaccines that do not contain live viruses, you will not stimulate the innate immune response. You will only stimulate the adaptive immune response. That is very different from a natural pandemic where you get people get, of course, exposed to the, uh, to the virus and they will start to develop an innate immune response. And this innate immune response will get better and better trained. So why is this so important? Well, you know, innate immunity is what we always call, what's called in the textbooks, the first line of immune defense. The first line of immune defense. That means that through innate immunity, the burden of the virus, the major load of the virus is taken out already by the innate immune response. So it's only the virus that can break through that innate immunity. For example, people with weaker innate immunity, like elderly people, people with underlying diseases, it's only the viruses that will break through that innate immunity that will stimulate the adaptive immunity. And then, of course, you get antibodies. But by the time these antibodies will reach their optimal titers, the virus has already largely disappeared or has already been largely cleared by the innate immune response. So these antibody titers then cannot put the virus under immune pressure because the, the bulk of the viral load has already disappeared. So that is why natural immune responses and even antibodies induced during a natural pandemic will not put the virus under immune selection pressure because of the innate immunity. That is very different if you don't stimulate this innate immunity, but you start to vaccinate people. Remember, many people, many people have received the vaccines before they had even a chance to get exposed to the virus, right? So these people had no innate immune uh, immunity trained whatsoever, right? And, you know, we, we stimulated their, their adaptive immunity, but... Of course, the adaptive immunity was directed against the spike protein of the Wuhan strain, whereas more infectious and different strains started circulating. So these antibodies were no longer neutralizing the, uh, the, circulating, the circulating virus. So that scenario is very, very different, and it is uh, not well understood even by our health experts. So seems like um, it doesn't matter if, uh, you know, every virology book says that uh, innate immunity is the first line of immune defense. And then, you know, uh, health authorities take decisions completely ignoring this first line of immune defense and starting to, to vaccinate uh, with very, very specific vaccines uh, that do not sufficiently neutralize the virus. It's like you load your gun when you are already on the battlefield. You come too late. The pandemic is already going on. You need to load your gun before you go to the battlefield. That is why if we vaccinate, we do it prophylactically before you get exposed to the virus, before uh, you go to a country where there is an infectious disease against which you can protect. 
you will make sure that your full vaccination schedule is accomplished before you go to that country, before you get exposed. That's not what they have been doing. So the virus could escape, became more infectious. As a consequence, the antibodies that were raised by the vaccines were no longer efficient and the immune escape continued, continued. And, and you know, the extreme situation was where all of a sudden we had Omicron that was like completely resistant to the uh, antibodies induced by, uh, by the vaccines. So that is immune escape. That is why it happens when you do mass vaccination during a pandemic. Uh, and I'm, I'm emphasizing mass vaccination because if you just vaccinate like a small layer of the population, like we do every year with influenza, for example, you won't have this effect. The pressure on the virus is generated by the fact that you massively vaccinate people. Because if the virus gets transmitted to another person, it will again experience this immune resistance. Why? Because the likelihood that this person got vaccinated is very high in a highly vaccinated uh, population, right? So this pressure comes from really the mass vaccination and uh, it explains why it happens when you do mass vaccination during a pandemic. And it also explains why during a natural pandemic, the contribution of the innate immune response to the overall immunity is very important. It has sterilizing capacity. And this, of course, explains where, why you can tame and control a natural pandemic by virtue of the combination of innate immunity and antibodies, you put both together, that is natural immunity. And it also explains why you cannot do this. You cannot have sterilizing immunity if you only vaccinate with vaccines that do not stimulate innate immune response, because then you have no sterilizing immunity. And because you have no sterilizing immunity, you cannot diminish the transmission rate. And because you cannot diminish the transmission rate, you don't have herd immunity. And because you don't have herd immunity, you cannot drive the virus into endemicity. And hence, the virus continues to evolve. And that is what we are still seeing today. Over. So, so it's really very sad because it ended up to be such a, um, like a, a global experiment. We became the experiment. And um, one more question before Roy takes it over. Um, what's your take with the mask? You know, I ask that because, like, I some some countries like the Philippines right now, they're they're hearing again the same uh, reports that they there's more um, people who are getting sick and there's variant, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So now people are being encouraged to wear the mask and yeah and yes i guess take care of whatever vaccine doses they need but just for the mask will that still be effective or will was it ever yeah. even effective well the the um, it, it can be very easily summarized uh, by saying that none of the measures none of the measures that these health authorities have been imposing made any sense, right? Made any sense. So um, how do you think, Grace, we get to herd immunity? You can only get herd immunity if people get exposed, if people get immunized, 
that is how you know and then there is this i i cannot i cannot understand this because the role of innate immunity is so obvious remember this virus you know was new to the population none of our populations had seen the virus before so all populations were what we call uh you know immunologically naive right and then 90% of people even more were not really struggling with 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 the virus okay some people got maybe ill for a few days come on what is wrong with being ill there's nothing wrong with being ill and being a few days in bed uh it's it's problematic if you get severe disease of course if you need to be hospitalized if you die but simply get you know getting illness being in bed uh, that is how you build immunity and many people especially young people people in good health uh, no overweight no underlying diseases barely had any symptoms so that is how by you know the virus spread that is how ultimately you stimulate this natural immunity that then after a while will induce sterilizing immunity in the population and will diminish the transmission and will tame the virus. So if the masks were just delaying this, were just in fact preventing this, and the fact that they are now, um, you know, trying to make people believe that again, they should be using masks. I mean, Grace, this is the typical behavior. If you don't control the situation, if you don't understand what's going on, if you're completely confused, if you don't control, then again, you reinstall all kinds of measures. They're going to say, oh, people need the fifth or the sixth or the seventh vaccination. We need to have these masks again. Uh, maybe if, if, if the situation aggravates, they are uh, going even maybe to reconsider uh, lockdowns and things like this, right? and disinfection and you know uh, social distancing etc this the situation what's going on right now the, the health authorities are simply panicking right and uh, they know that the situation is 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 very serious but they're just not admitting it and um yeah i mean the 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 the, the situation is completely completely confusing right now so masks uh, even now it's complete complete nonsense complete nonsense yeah well, thank you very much, because what I really wanted to achieve from our episode is for people not to be fearful. And I'm, so I'm making sure that this link really my people in the Philippines can listen to it because they should not be mm -hmm. fearful or else they cannot think properly or make wise decisions. Thank you. And I'll pass it on to Roy. Thanks, Grace. Hi, Gert. Hi. Really? So you mentioned um, the Spanish flu and like through the research that I've seen, it was when they gave the military vaccinations, that's when the flu started spreading. And that wasn't the first time that it happened in the 1850s. There was the same, there was mandates. They were making sure everybody had to get vaccinated and the mortality rate went through the roof, all different types of diseases. We're seeing mm. it now as well. And let's go back a kind of step. You have worked with these people. You worked for the uh, Bill and um, Melinda Gates. You worked for Gavi. You've done stuff for the World Health Organization. They kind of know that, don't they? 
Well, that is where where the situation is uh, very difficult to explain and where I can understand that, you know, people start to believe in all these conspiracy theories and that it was all pre-planned and uh, pandemic, etc. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not angry with people, you know, who have these ideas. The only thing is that I must say that it's not that I'm convinced. I know this. I know this. It all started with sci lack of scientific knowledge and ignorance. And then, of course, also, uh, you know, the refusal to debate. Why I'm saying this? Um, for two reasons. Well, first of all, you, uh, you have to know that a pandemic is very, very complex. It's, the, it's, it's not about the virus or it's not about the immune system. No, it's about the interplay between a virus and an immune system at a population level, not at an individual level. And then on top, it is influenced by, for example, mass vaccination. So this is very, very complex. And um, the second thing is that also the organization in these institutions, be it, you know, the Gates Foundation, be it especially the WHO, be it industry, etc., is also very complex because it is, of course, extremely political, right? And uh, it also has a history. For example, I, um, I uh, was there and was uh, deeply involved in uh, the Ebola crisis back eight, nine years ago in the West African countries, where WHO made huge mistakes. I mean, I've, I've been documenting this. It, uh, uh, I wrote a paper about this. It's, it's also on my website, etc. So, I mean, the mistake was of a level that there was even talk about dismantling the WHO. Can you believe this? So then the WHO got reorganized. You got the satellite organizations like SEPI, et cetera, et cetera. So then all of a sudden comes this pandemic. You can discuss about this, but if you define a pandemic as an infection that spread broadly around the world, you can still consider this as a pandemic. Of course, I was the first to say this was not a health emergency of international concern because, you know, for most people, the vast majority, the cause of disease was uh, rather mild. But the WHO was so afraid about, you know, making again the same mistake as in West Africa, where they basically came way too late and conducted vaccine trials that also led to the death of some people, right? And there were also mandates. So all of a sudden, you know, to be on the safe side, so to say, they declared this a health emergency of international concern. Okay, that's easy to do. Roy, you can do this, I can do this, that's easy to do. And then what's the next step? Well, if you declare this a pandemic uh, of international concern, a health emergency of international concern, infectious disease, okay, we are going to make vaccines. That's very nice. But the WHO has no financial means, you know, to, to support this, to finance this. They have no infrastructure. They have no vaccination uh, facilities, uh, vaccine facilities or whatever. 
So they entirely, entirely depend on sponsors and on industry, both for financing the whole thing and secondarily for supplying the whole thing. So then, without any scribbles, they open the door to industry, right? When you open the door to industry, you know what you're go going to get. They are not caring about your health. You know, they care about enriching the stakeholders, of course. That is one situation. The, the, what makes it even worse is that, you know, you have these different vaccine companies that normally, you know, they're competing with each other. They are continuously, uh, you know, uh, lawsuits, uh, litigations, etc. And um, that, that, of course, you know, ensures a certain balance between these vaccine companies and pharmaceutical companies. But here at this time, first time in history, sun was shining for everybody because you, you could not possibly supply sufficient vaccine. There was a need for vaccine and it didn't matter. You, you first got the J&J and then Moderna or vice versa, all kinds of combinations was all fine. You know, no, whereas this requires normally clinical studies for another two, three, four years, etc. So then these machines start rolling where big pharma, you know, together, they it's kind of like a joint venture all of a sudden. They take over and the trains start rolling and our politicians just serve as puppets in the whole thing. You know, they really, they serve as puppets. And, and, and then the EU, for example, they make all these contracts, eh? they sign these contracts, uh, no liability for the pharmaceutical industry, etc. And then, of course, you have all these contracts signed and then, of course, you have to distribute this, this vaccine, e these vaccines, even though at that point, by the time the contracts got signed, it was already clear that this was anything, anything but a health emergency of international concern. One thing, and secondarily, and that is what I'm making clear in my book, it was completely predictable, completely predictable that this mass vaccination could only have very detrimental consequences, both at the individual and at the public health level. But um, of course, due to um, ignorance, lack of debate, lack of transparency, lack of information, changing the definitions continuously, definition of what is a vaccine, definition of what is immunity, definition of what is herd immunity, definition of when are you really vaccinated, etc., etc., makes people, of course, extremely confused. I must confess, if, I, if it were not for the fact that I had this background in the vaccines and immunology, and you know, having worked both with these organizations and also in industry, I mean, otherwise, I would think like many other people, this cannot be anything else but all pre-planned and preset and you know and, and pre-orchestrated. Now I can tell you if this would be if this were the case, these people would be extremely stupid because as I was saying, the matters are very, very complex. The interaction with the virus and the immune system at the population level, etc. When this virus starts to evolve, what is doing right now under immune pressure of the population, it's almost impossible to predict where this is going to end. So if you want, for example, to disseminate, uh, 
large parts of the population or you have a plan to eliminate certain groups in the population, you, you need to know what you're doing and you need to almost kind of like predict the outcome of this operation. That is completely impossible with, with, with a virus. And as a matter of fact, our health authorities, even scientists, are at this very moment in time, no longer understanding where this pandemic is going, where this will end. They know they have no control. They know we have no herd immunity. They know the virus continues to, to evolve, but they have no clue as to, you know, where this will end and, and, and what will be the outcome of all this. But I can understand that, uh, you know, not having all this information, not having worked with this organization, you know how this is, Roy, you know, you hear things and you hear this organization, but then until you have worked with these organizations, very often also with people, we have, of course, sometimes prejudices or we think different things about people. And then you get to know these people and say, oh, wow, yeah, this is different from what I thought, right? And I, I'm, I'm telling you this with, with this level of conviction, because I've been part of these organizations, right? I've been part of these organizations and um, and I've also been part, that's what I've been doing in the last 30, 30 years of my life, that I've been working on vaccines and on, on viruses and immunology and all these type of things. So if you put all these things together, you start to understand where it started. But then what is at, added right now is lies, of course, because these guys now understand that they have completely misunderstood the whole situation, you know, that their assessment was completely wrong, that they have taken the wrong decisions. And of course now, and you see this already, some of them are trying to hide. Others, you know, that were uh, speaking out and uh, were uh, advocates for the narrative, etc. You don't hear them anymore. Some of the measures in some countries now get like mitigated, you know, staying away from vaccina uh, vaccinating children. Look, for example, the move in Switzerland, what Switzerland has done, right? All these type of things. Uh, that is what is happening. That is what is happening right now. And we, we and, and this will continue, of course. This will continue. Over to you, Rod. With, like said, the PCR tests, that's where I kind of, the red flag went for me. There was billions of PCR tests being sold around the world in 2017 and 2018. Yeah. I've had guests on my show that basically the hospitals were incentivized to kill people. There's one guy, his child, seven, a 19-year-old Down syndrome, put on a ventilator with do not resuscitate. That is not an isolated case. This is massive around the thing. Mm. Why was there kickbacks for people to be actually murdered? Well, Why well, are the pharmaceuticals I mean, getting kickbacks to the doctors and the doctors right. that actually come out and say, hey, this is wrong, or nurses showing it, they're fired and they're mm. deplatformed. Yeah, Roy, as I was telling you, you know, and the older you get, the more you understand that this world is all about money, right? I was telling you, these are the, the pharmaceutical the pharmaceutical companies because, uh, you know, so many people, uh, you know, Dr. Chetty, uh, Peter McCullough, many others have shown early on, early on, they were the pioneers, that you could very effectively treat these people at an early stage of disease, right? Even the vulnerable people, even because some people are saying, yeah, we should only have vaccinated uh, the, the elderly, et cetera, people with underlying disease. I'm saying no, none should have received the vaccines because we had very uh, efficient early treatment. But of course, if you have signed all these contracts 
if you have, if there is all these silent agreements, you know, uh, behind the curtains, and you have to push this through, and and you have this machine rolling, then of course you cannot do anything else than getting these people come to the hospital, and then the treatments were of course catastrophic. Uh, the early treatment was completely censored, was completely banned. The medical doctors uh, were not given an opportunity. Uh, on the contrary, they were censored for even trying to help their patients. So this is, of course, unbelievable that you see what what money, uh, uh, what money can do. And, um, you know, um, yeah, it's <laughs> there is there is, of course, no words for this, but um, so, with because uh, I've had Ivor Commons on my show uh, last week, I just released it, but I've been following him from the start, and he basically was showing with all statistics from government sites. So it's all, you know, you can prove what he's been using because he doesn't just wing it or anything like that. No conspiracy theory or anything like that, and he's showing that they didn't actually do a lockdown, and it was ten times better than the ones that actually did in the northern countries. Hmm. Yeah, of course. The, I mean, the, there has been plenty of, as I was saying, none of the measures they they uh, have taken, uh, you know, have had any beneficial, any positive effect. On the contrary, there's many studies that, you know, uh, convincingly, convincingly prove that, uh, be it lockdowns, be it uh, social distancing, be it being, uh, be it uh, masking. Uh, were all very, very bad, right? Because they prevented, they have been preventing uh, herd immunity. And um, yeah, you, you, you see what happened in China, right? They have locked up people for months, almost for years. And then all of a sudden, uh, when they relax these measures, then you see this catastrophe is happening. So um, this was... Uh, Complete also panic, ignorance, because, of course, if you don't know what's happening, if you cannot really assess the situation, yeah, what you do is, of course, you lock everybody up and you give people masks and you say they cannot get together. Yeah, that is basically the translation uh, or that, that translated into all these measures uh, that were scientifically completely unsound, that uh, clearly show that uh, they did not understand how a pandemic works, how the interaction between the virus and the host happens, that this has been shaped for millions of years by evolution to generate herd immunity, which is a very nice balance, which enables a very nice balance between the virus and the immune system. It basically protects the population and it enables the virus, you know, to continue to replicate, but but not to cause, you know, like epidemics. Uh, just basically, in this case, asymptomatic transmission of something like this, without uh, impact, um, uh, significant or substantial impact on the population. So yeah, it's a complete has been a complete mismanagement, and uh, you know, at the benefit of industry, and then industry has been uh, taking over because first of all, this brought a lot of money. And secondarily, don't forget that under normal circumstances, all these platforms like vectorized uh, vaccines, uh, DNA uh, platforms, mRNA platforms would not have seen the daylight in the next 10 or 20 years. And this for them was now a unique opportunity to roll this out very, very broadly in, in all of the population, no matter 
whether you know these people had been uh, enrolled in the clinical studies. Eh? For example, there were no pregnant women in the in the clinical studies. There were no children in the clinical studies. The very elderly above uh, 75, 80 were not enrolled in the studies. People who had already contact and had already been exposed uh, to the virus were not enrolled in these studies, and nevertheless, you know, it was rolled out very, very bloated. So there is no other words for this. This has been, uh, you know, a big, big experiment on uh, on on human beings. Uh, something that uh, you would not even dare to do under normal circumstances in animals. So you know, my background is veterinary medicine. I I, I can tell you, it, this is just. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. And just finally, before I pass you over to Jane, like my own personal belief after going deep into vaccinations, reading a load of different books, and we've had a lot of guests on and everything, but just my own experience from seeing, you know, people losing children after they're getting vaccinated, animals dying, animals getting epileptic fits and everything. You're basically introducing loads of toxins into the body. I'm not talking about the mRNA. I'm talking about any vaccine. Hmm. And how is that safe? Because I can't see any vaccine working, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, Roy, this uh, would be a topic for, um, I would say, for another session. But let me, let me, let me just tell you that um, I still strongly believe in uh, the use under certain circumstances of life attenuated childhood vaccines. So for example, in developing countries, you have uh, high infectious pressure, for example, due to poor uh, hygiene conditions, very often also like in slums and favelas, a high density of the population, you know, living together uh, in high density under very poor hygienic conditions, there, uh, of course, the uh, the risk of infection is very high. And then you have these newborn children that get into that population being completely immunologically naive, providing those, you know, with immunity so that you can close, close the gap of the herd immunity. Because you have herd immunity in these populations, but there are gaps if you have large populations, for example, of newborns that don't have that immunity. So, but what is very interesting, and, and there I always join people like you and many others who are completely against the vaccines. If you think about this, why would modern vaccine companies still use old-fashioned technology like live attenuated viruses? Because it's uh, in terms of the safety issues, uh, the containment of those viruses, very, very uh, expensive, uh, very, um, uh, very difficult to do. And, and also there is risks because if the virus is not sufficiently attenuated, then uh, of course the child uh, could die uh, right away. So why are they still using these technologies? Now, here we come because to the point. Because of money. Well, no, it's, uh, it's, well, yeah, money is of course always involved. This is the business model. But these vaccines stimulate innate immunity because they contain life attenuated viruses. What I'm saying 
is that of course, of course, in children that have, for example, genetic deficiencies or that have weak innate immunity, have, for example, underlying diseases, it can always happen that you have a derailment that, for example, the, the, the children get, get ill, even uh, in um, autoimmune diseases, etc. So what I'm saying, and that is where we get together, is that we need to find a way to stimulate the innate immunity of vulnerable people without having to use live vaccines, because there is a risk to those. But you will agree with me, unless you disagree with Grace, that innate immunity is important. But of course, in the vaccine context, you cannot sell this. This is not a commercially successful model, because if I tell you, Roy, you have to take care of your innate immunity, then basically I must tell you, Roy, uh, do you have enough exercise? What about uh, your nutrition? Do you have uh, overweight? Do you have underlying diseases? Do you take your supplements? Do you take your vitamin D in winter, etc.? None of this can be commercialized, right? This is this is simply, uh, you know, advice that you know cannot be sold against against money. But that is the reason why, unless we find uh, a way to stimulate innate immunity in, for example, developing countries where people do not have access to this healthy food, where there is high population density, where there is poor hygiene, etc., etc., we we can do something uh, in addition to stimulate their innate immunity. I just think that ideally we should get away from the live attenuated vaccines and do a better job and stimulate their innate immunity without having to use these live, uh, these live uh, vaccines. And, and this is, again, re-emphasizing the key importance of innate immunity. So industry knows it, that innate immunity is important, because otherwise they would get away from these difficult-to-make vaccines, and they would substitute the current childhood vaccines, measles, mumps, rubella, varicella, all live attenuated by modern technology. They are not going to do this because they know the efficiency is far from being the same in those groups. Okay. Over. Thank you very much. I'll pass you over to Jane. It's a runaway train. <laughs> and, and it's all driven by greed and money. And when did we stop yeah. caring, really caring about people? It's, it's, it makes you really sad. And you know mm. what? There's been some pandemics completely helped and with with homeopathy but of course that is not a viable model either for money <laughs> cuba has used homeopathy successfully several times so let's ask you what you would do you know the the situation we're under you realize the serious seriousness of it if someone was listening that really cared, <laughs> what would you tell them to do right now? And also anyone that has been vaccinated, anything that you would suggest? Yeah, well, there we are making, of course, a big leap, especially uh, with regard to the vaccinees, people who have been vaccinated. For the unvaccinated, and for that matter, for any pandemic that is caused by this type of viruses. So I'm, I'm talking about viruses that cause acute self-limiting disease like Corona, like influenza. Very, very clearly, 
let nature do its work, but, but let's be very serious. I mean, we need, and that is what global health authorities should do, is to emphasize the importance of living a healthy life, for God's sake, right? I mean, they are coming with drugs, vaccines, and all kinds of stuff, not telling people, get rid of this overweight, right? Make sure you have sufficient exercise. If you are living in this, for example, Scandinavian countries or whatever, take your vitamin D in winter or even in other countries, right? Um, or, or take vitamin C or, you know, so there is so, so many things that we know are critically important to live a healthy life. They are just not emphasized, not, not even by, by, uh, by our health authorities. So, um, so that is one thing. So that is easy. Uh, then, of course, when people get a disease, because, of course, we cannot deny that if you have this, uh, you're facing this type of infections, and you're dealing with people with underlying diseases, uh, people with a weak uh, innate immune system, uh, elderly people, not because they are old, but because the likelihood, of course, that when you get uh, older, the likelihood that you can still do a lot of exercise diminishes, the likelihood that you contract some kind of underlying disease, uh, be it hypertension, diabetes, or whatever, uh, increases as well. So these people are more vulnerable, but we can treat them. And this, uh, when they get ill, right? I, I mean, this has been proven, this has been shown, this has been published in peer-reviewed journals that early treatment, even with quite a straightforward and simple medication, can do a miracle, can prevent completely these people, you know, from going to, uh, from needing to, 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 to go to the hospital. And when they recover, they will develop immunity and contribute to herd immunity. So that is exactly the same what the unvaccinated should continue to do right now. And they should not be frightened because I'm always saying the unvaccinated in highly vaccinated countries are the people that are currently best protected. Why? Because they are continuously exposed to these variants. But now they have trained their innate immunity like never before in history, I would say. Of course, we got Omicron. Of course, we were in bed for a couple of days. Many of us, not everybody. But we have trained our innate immune, immune system now to an extent that, you know, around my, me and, and, and where, you know, when I'm seeing people or, or going to uh, convenings, etc., I, I rarely, I rarely hear about anybody who is uh, unvaccinated and is still uh, contracting disease, maybe very superficially, but you know. For the vaccines, it's more problematic because I've always been the very last, you know, who discriminates between vaccines and non-vaccines. From the very beginning, I've been saying this, you know, uh, we should not do this. And also scientifically speaking, it doesn't make sense. But there is one thing that we cannot deny, and that is that currently the immune status of somebody who is vaccinated is fundamentally different from the immune status from somebody who is not vaccinated. And I'm explaining in my book that I'm afraid that the virus is now evolving down, you know, and, and following a path that may lead to enhanced virulence of the virus. And uh, that especially the vaccinees will be susceptible to that. The unvaccinated, they can deal with whatever variant. Why is this? Because innate immunity is non-specific. That is 
a big advantage. The disadvantage of innate immunity is that its capacity is very limited. Therefore, you need very often adaptive immunity to complement this, but not when your innate immunity got so well trained, then it can deal in its own right, in fact, with all these variants. That is, of course, not the case with the vaccinees who now completely rely on their vaccinal antibodies. The vaccination has not trained their innate immunity, has even, you know, like bypassed it, right, sidelined it, and therefore they rely completely on the vaccinal antibodies. These vaccinal antibodies up to today is still protecting them against severe disease, so to say. But we know that this immunity is temporary and is very fragile. So I can only recommend vaccinees. And, you know, in biology, uh, Jane, it's never white and black. You have a gray zone, right? So I'm not saying all vaccinees will be susceptible, you know, to severe disease when the virus evolves towards a more virulent form, because it all depends how many shots did they get. Uh, which vaccines? We know there is a, a very strong difference between mRNA vaccines and non-mRNA vaccines. And then also have these people, you know, been exposed to the virus before they got vaccinated or not. All this makes a difference. But it's very clear that if my family was vaccinated, if I was vaccinated, I would make sure that I have my hands on antivirals. Because if this happens, if my predictions come true, then we could be dealing with a situation where we have a wave, a big wave of severe disease, even enhanced severe disease, where even early treatment for some people, unfortunately, could come too late. And therefore, I think the way to go for the vaccinees is to make sure they have um, antiviral uh, medication uh, available available eh? uh, so that would be uh, that would be my uh, my recommendation sorry right. for being so long no that's, that's really good and so if you were someone that was listening in government or the who you would say stop vaccinating any well and that go is to antivirals yeah um, well yeah of course instead of mass vaccination we need mass antiviral prophylaxis almost in highly vaccinated countries. Remember, I'm always saying Africa will win. They have not done these stupidities and they have developed herd immunity, so they will deal with it in a natural way, right? Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, what I'm also explaining in my book is that um, even if we stop mass vaccination today, even if we had stopped it, um, you know, when Omicron appeared, we would not have been able to avoid the continuing evolution of the virus. And the reason is in very, very simple terms that, you know, you have seen this, of course, that when Omicron came, of course, some people would say, wow, Omicron is fantastic. It's going to boost the vaccine-induced immunity. It's more infectious, but less virulent, so it will induce herd immunity, etc. It was all wrong, wrong, wrong. Why? Well, what Omicron did is it caused in vaccinees vaccine breakthrough infections. So people were vaccinated. Nevertheless, they developed infection. Many people even got the disease, vaccinees, right? The immunity that developed as a consequence, as a consequence of the vaccine breakthrough infection, uh, 
was not sufficient to control the subsequent Omicron descendants. So Omicron induced a kind of immunity that was not efficacious in taming the subsequent Omicron descendants. So the, the immunity was ba basically too weak. And that is how Omicron basically expedited even the immune escape. It basically, you know, auto self-catalyzed, you know, immune escape. It made it expedited it, it accelerated it. And that is why we are now seeing more and more infectious Omicron descendants, right? So the advent of Omicron, according to my analysis, has been a point of no return, right? In terms of the virus evolution, uh, evolving towards a path that I think is not going to have a, a happy end. Of course, if on top you continue full speed mass vaccination and you even include children, you are going to make that process even faster, right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the final outcome, I think since the advent of Omicron, there was no possibility anymore to change this. And that is why we have been, you know, shouting from the roofs that this mass vaccination, even before Omicron came, should stop for God's sense, for, for God's sake, because there we still had an opportunity, you know, to, to block uh, this whole evolution. But uh, of course, nobody wanted to listen. That's, uh, that's very clear. Yeah. I listened to you early on. I was looking for information everywhere. And mm. I think we need to take personal responsibility and, and, and stop giving away our power to people that seem to know. Like we, yeah. we, we need to take back. Yeah, well, you know, Jane, I must say, you know, having worked with these organizations, industry and, uh, you know, the global and public health organizations, you have to realize that 90% of these people working there are people like you and me very decent people, integer people, great people, you know, doing fantastic job, uh, diligent, etc. It's always at the top that we find the corruption, right? Mm -hmm. In all these organizations, it's at the top because there it's about egos, right? And it's about, uh, you know, uh, money, of course, and, and, and conflicts of interest, uh, etc. And and that is that is so sad because you know I, I I got good friends in all these organizations, but at the top that's where the brainwashing starts. And you know uh, you can of course uh, give up your job. That is difficult to do. Some people do it, but uh, very few. But um, for us, right? I think what is important <clears throat> is that we cannot we cannot fight with the same tools you know these lobby you cannot imagine how powerful this is right i knew for, from the very beginning that we would not stop this right i'm no longer naive after what i've seen what i've experienced i knew that we would not stop this nevertheless you have to co continue but what is so important is that people simply say no you know we 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 don't need to of course, you know, uh, rallies and, and all these type of things, I'm, I'm not saying that uh, that is not useful, but uh, the key thing, the key thing is to say no. No, I don't get the shot because it's my health. I decide, you know, you, 
don't don't uh, bother about uh, about my health. This is this is my my ch my child. This is my responsibility. I decide whether my child gets vaccinated or not. And that is also what I'm doing with the science. They're saying, look how good these vaccines are and how efficient. And I'm saying, no, look, this is the scientific evidence. It's not true what you're saying. So I'm saying, no, they're saying these vaccines are safe. Many people, I mean, it's not my field, my deep field of expertise. Many people are showing very clearly that it's not the case. So they're saying, you're, you're saying it's safe. We say, no, it's not safe for these and these reasons. This no is so critically important. And uh, that is what I think um, is um, unites us, right? And, and, and even if we think we are isolated and we are alone, there's so many people saying no, uh, that, uh, you know, this is... Um, at, at some point, this is going to build a critical mass, you know, according to my country fellow, Matthias de Smet, whom you may know, this critical mass, 10% may be sufficient, right? And mm -hmm. you, you see already that things are changing. It's very, very slow. But, you know, with many things, you know, you need it. it there is inertia and these things need to move. But once they start to move, all of a sudden, you know, you can get this exponential curve where things accelerate. And I think that's what we need to, uh, to, to hope for. And, uh, but um, yeah, at some point we need uh, to stay calm. We cannot combat them. We cannot fight them with the same tools. We, you know, compared to what they have, we are, we are nothing. We, yeah. But mm. saying no is very, very, very strong, very powerful, and uh, I think very important. Yeah. Right? That's the biggest lesson. Learning to say yeah. no until you know more. <laughs> yeah. Thank, thank you so much. I'll pass you back to Grace. You're very welcome. Mm. Okay. Hey, Kurt, I know, I know we're at the end of the hour that we promised okay. with you, but I'll just share to you. I was just about to I'll look at the... Uh, the <laughs> I'll, I'll have two quick questions from a viewer and one another a little longer but it's up to you to answer which one i bet um two of them you might have answered uh responded indirectly he said first the first question you, which you just mentioned is why doesn't the who listen to you and others about the truth then the second one is ask him if he so, so sorry the question is the first question is why they didn't said, listen why did they okay. not listen to you yeah and okay others and then the the, sec, the second one is ask him if he thinks this was all planned event. And the last one is also if this event changed your views about vaccine. It is said that even Pasteur had changed his viewpoint. So whatever yeah, you want to share. Well, yeah. Uh, so why did they uh, why did did they listen to me? Well, you know, I. I I think I made it very clear that this is my fight is about the science, you know, the science and 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 solidarity is about the the, the reason why I'm doing this is my passion for the truth, right? I I know that what is said is is fully wrong, and it is even so wrong. I mean, if if I would have some doubt about about this, I wouldn't be probably I would probably not react to this, right? But it's so convincingly wrong that when you have a passion for the truth, I mean, it's it's even more than a mission. You, you know, there is nothing you can do about this. You have to raise your voice. Uh, I mean, I cannot do otherwise. 
So their mission, that's not the mission, is the money. So, you know, and, and they have all the power to, to push this agenda. They, you know, it's like, uh, as I was saying, a joint venture between even several different branches in industry chaperoned by the WHO and the, the politicians and our health authorities. Who are, so it's, it's, it's a very powerful lobby. So that is uh, why they, uh, they didn't listen to me. Uh, once the decision had been taken and basically once they had already decided they would do uh, the mass vaccination. Uh, and so, uh, wait a second, the second question was about just one keyword and I will remember. Planned event. Do you think it is a planned event? Uh, well, I, I think I have been very clear in that regard. I'm, uh, I certainly can understand that people think, you know, this is all planned and, and I, I can understand. And I would probably think the same way if I had not worked with these organizations, if I would not know what is happening behind the curtains, if I would not have this uh, scientific uh, insight uh, also in the pandemic. Uh, I would probably think exactly the same because if uh, you know you 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 find out that all these guys who are uh, raising their voices are all having conflicts of interests, you know the advocates of the narrative of the mainstream narrative all have conflicts of interests that they refuse to debate us, right? Uh, that they, uh, uh, what they are saying is lacking completely, lacking transparency. They are changing their opinions. They are changing their predictions. They are changing their views. They are changing the definitions and everything. And then uh, there is complete lack of information. If you hear these scientists talking, I'm often thinking, are they politicians or are they scientists? I mean, they are not. They are not talking about the science to people, right? It's like you know what. Just get yourself vaccinated and your children vaccinated and you'll be fine. That's what our health authorities are saying. And now that they clearly see that this is not going the way they expected, they're even lying. So I can completely understand that within that context, right, people say oh, something is fundamentally wrong here. It is. It cannot be otherwise than all this was on purpose, right? I can understand this, but I remain convinced that it's not the case and that it started all with, you know, bloody ignorance, refusal to debate, whereas these this, this matters are scientifically very, very complex, right? And the last one is, uh, did this event change your views about vaccines? Well, it changed my look, uh, Grace. I've always been saying it, it's it's surprising because people understand very very well that drugs, under certain circumstances, can help you to cure out a disease, for example. But everybody would agree that you should taking you should then be taking these drugs under the right circumstances, under the right conditions, right? With vaccines, people don't seem to understand this. What I've been saying primarily before even before I even knew about all the side effects of these vaccines, because it was not obvious at the, at, at the very beginning, I immediately said this is a complete contraindication for the use of vaccines, you know, namely the pandemic, right? So uh, 
you can i'm i'm not uh, fundamentally against vaccines if if people uh, ask me uh, are you against the vaccines used under uh, certain circumstances for example the yearly flu vaccine i'm against this right uh, many childhood vaccines that um, are given on top of the classical childhood vaccines uh, I think there's also commercial purposes involved, and it's too many for a child, for example, you know, to uh, to jab them like five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times uh, just within a few weeks or months. Um, so, but then saying all vaccines, no matter the, what circumstances, irregardless of the immune situation of the population, irregardless of whether you have herd immunity or not, irregardless of the hygienic uh, conditions, irregardless of the population density, etc., we need to get rid of all this stuff. That would be wrong as well, according to my humble opinion. But again, we need to discuss with each other, uh, have an honest and open debate. And if somebody thinks there is an advantage, you know, it needs to be discussed and you need to have the convincing arguments. I have been advocating in the last 15 years at World Vaccine Congresses for doing a better job in vaccinology, for improving it. And it's not just, you know, improving doesn't mean that you need modern technologies, right? Uh, th th these technocrats who are coming with all these modern technologies have forgotten about the biology. No, first and foremost, we need to better understand how the virus is interacting with the immune system, the pathogenesis, right? And, the, 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 you know, based on that, based on that deep understanding, we can begin to see how we could possibly, you know, influence the immune system in a way that is beneficial for individual health, but also for public health, for the whole population, right? And that is where I think we, we, we come together with, you know, the emphasis on innate immunity. And I've been researching, you know, um, on a type of vaccine or, or call it immune intervention, whatever, because vaccines start to have a bad connotation, where you could stimulate the innate immune response in people without a need for using uh, live vaccines, for example. That is real innovation, taking into account the biology, right? Instead of simply, you know, uh, wanting to sell new technologies, uh, you know, for, for commercial purposes without even understanding what these technologies are doing. Because, you know, they fundamentally change the way we make vaccines. Basically, it's your body that is making the vaccine. We never did this in the past, you know. The, the mRNA vaccine, it's your body. Your body is the factory. Come on. So you have no control where the antigen is expressed. You have no control for how long it is expressed. You have no control at what concentration it is expressed. Come on. This violates all the rules of vaccinology. Right? I hope that answers your uh, part of your question. So. Yes, I'm sure the viewer is satisfied with that answer. Um, thank okay. you very much. And um, and thank you for your work. And thank you really for um, coming up with this book, because I'm sure many people will be able to, you know, especially the scientists or those, because I believe you've written this book for, um, let's say, experts um, to well, understand well, more. So they I've written this book. 
first of all, because I wanted the science to be documented, right? Not that anybody could say later on, oh, you know what, we didn't know this. Oh, this was completely unpredictable. We have never seen this before. We did the best we could, etc. No, I, I clearly documented that this was predictable and that nothing was, in fact, more predictable than that this mass vaccination would have detrimental consequences, both for individual and global health. Now, the other advantage of the book is, of course, that when people get confronted, you know, with uh, very often these are medical doctors or other scientists that still think they can make a case towards laymen, you know, to convince them of the vaccination, you know, I'm then saying just give them the book, give them the book and let them come back two weeks thereafter or when, when they have finished the book. I think it will silence many of them, right? And if 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 the book can achieve that purpose, right, that people feel like a little bit um, secured because they don't need to argue themselves, right? It's difficult when you're, you know, yeah. when you don't have that background, even to discuss with a medical doctor. Although the medical doctors have not this background either, virology, immunology is uh, very often not in their curriculum. But they can give the book to say, look, look at this and, and come back with your counter arguments, right? It will silence many of them, I think, and it will make life easier for those who are trying to simply justify why they are not vaccinated. Because, in fact, they don't need to justify this. It's your body. You know, you don't give a damn on what this vaccine does. You don't you simply don't want it. You say no, no, thank you. <laughs> okay, thanks, Grace. Thank you very much. Any uh, any more last words except uh, stop the vaccines? No, get the book. And what else do you want to say? Well, it's time? for me. It's not about the book. Eh? I'm not like in the uh, in the commercial mode. For me, it's really about the message. It's about the message that the truth, you know, should see the daylight and that um, if people think or if health authorities, uh, scientists think I'm completely wrong, let them come with the arguments. We have not had an opportunity to de de debate this openly, publicly, because that was not possible. But um, so now there is at least this documentation of what I think is, uh, is um, very, very scientific because it's also drawing not just from virology, also from immunology, vaccinology, etc. It's the broader picture. And frankly speaking, I mean, how many people, you know, in all modesty, all, how many people are, first of all, completely independent, first thing, and secondarily can draw from all these fields, virology, immunology, vaccinology, evolutionary biology. I'm often saying I'm not a top virologist, I'm not the top immunologist, etc. But I have learned to solve problems instead of simply writing publications. We have an obligation to solve problems for society, right? And if you're dealing with complex problems, multidisciplinary problems, you have to be able to draw from these different fields and to put the pieces of the puzzle together. And that is what I'm doing. And that is uh, a very deliberate choice that I made 10, 15 years ago. And I said, no, I mean, I don't want to simply make products and not understanding the science. 
And I don't want to simply publish stuff that is completely disconnected from the health problems in society, right? So that is how I got to, 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 to work on this, but uh, there are not many people doing that. And uh, therefore, uh, if uh, some of them think they know better and they have better insights, I mean, I'm open to discuss, of course. Over. <laughs> and thank you. Thank you. And to all, of, to all of you out there, please make sure that you can share and then you can support our work. And, and at some point, we'll put all donation buttons in the post notes so that wherever you go, whether you go to uh, Roy Collins, to Jane's um, link, then you will see all the uh, donate note. And Gert didn't really want to say no want to leave yet, just accidents happen, but hey, welcome back and thank you again. And we hope in the future you'll feel comfortable to come back again because there's so much work to be done and so much education. And just like you, we're doing this really out of our being human beings and we're concerned to keep our humanity intact and in alignment with God's source. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much and thanks uh, for sharing the message and you should know uh, you are not alone. There is, you know, there is, you're not alone and uh, there is this kind of um, uh, dimension that we cannot describe, which is not a material, but which has to do with a kind of vibration that we are all feeling. And even if they look us up, these vibrations will continue. And that is how you will see that, you know, at some point, you know, the change will come. The change must come because uh, we can feel that in all layers of society, people are feeling uncomfortable and that there is tension and that there is corruption. And uh, so uh, I'm, uh, I'm very positive that we are up for a big change. Mankind may need to pay a price for having fundamentally disturbed this balance, you know, between yeah, a pathogen and the immune system, this has been fundamentally disturbed. And I think we are going to pay a price for this. But um, once these things will be cleared, there is no doubt, no doubt that nature will restore this balance, right? Because what people are forgetting, they think it, this is like a, a war, one party against the other, and we are, so to say, the underdog, that's true. But there is this kind of saying, I don't know exactly how you translate it in English, but it's like when two dogs are fighting over a bone, the third one is running away with this. And people forget that the virus is in control of everything. These parties are trying to control each other, but none of these parties is controlling the virus. And that is what is currently uh, happening. The virus is not under control. So the virus is in charge, you know, not the stakeholders of these campaigns and not the underdogs, right? That is maybe too heavy to, to conclude uh, your no, program, but no, uh, it's that's not. what I'm convinced of. <laughs> it's yeah. perfect. Okay. Perfect mm. ending. Perfect ending. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. <laughs>